eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Bust and Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. Welcome in, Boston Lewis Baseball, episode 68. I'm Grant Paulson, joined as always by Toby Altizer. Toby, how are you? Pretty good. I mean, the the Nationals won the season series over the Cubs, so I know a lot of people that are Cubs fans from my time out in Milwaukee, so I can hold that over them. I was talking a little trash. So it's uh, always nice to talk some trash to Cubs fans. Yeah, that's fun. And I like Wrigley Field, and I have kind of for a long time found them. You know, they're the lovable losers at one point, you know, admirable enough from afar, liked the colors, and it was easy to root for them because they weren't a threat. Uh, still kind of pull for them from a distance, but not when they're playing the Nationals, obviously. In that series, Jamer Candelario, back from injury on this road trip, goes deep again. He actually had a big home run to pull the Nats within one, going back to the Wednesday night game at Wrigley Field. But Jamer quietly coming back from a few days away after getting hit by a pitch and uh, dealing with some soreness. Couple of home runs here in his last three games. He homered in the first game of the series at Wrigley, in the third game of the series. So you look at the last seven games, the OPS is still up around 900 for him. Uh, He is making things easy on Mike Rizzo right now as he's now got 15 home runs and an 820 ops while playing a really good third base, he's going to get something for the Nationals back on the trade market. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the tough part about being a fan of the Nationals right now is some guys that you really like might end up getting moved. We'll talk about the bullpen in just a little bit. But Jamer Candelario, I think, is at the top of that list. You mentioned that, you know, defensively he's been good. Offensively, since he's come back from the injury, he's been good. I mean, this is a guy that I think has been even better than what the Nationals expected when they signed him. You know, they signed him as a trade ship at the deadline, which is what they're going to do. But it's kind of tough because – He's such a likable guy. He's played so well for this team. He's been one of the best players. I think you could argue possibly the best player with him, maybe Lane Thomas, if you want to throw Josiah Gray in there. It's one of those three that's been the best player for the Nationals this season, but he's going to end up getting moved at the deadline. But we were talking before we hit record here on this podcast, Grant, and he's someone that if you trade away, I wouldn't lose his phone number. I would be giving him a call and saying, hey, would you like to come back to D.C. after your short stint wherever they send him? Because, you know, there isn't really a long-term third-base solution that's major league ready yet in the minor leagues. Brady House would be your third baseman of the future, but he's not going to be up by opening day next year. So I wouldn't mind if Jamer were back for a little while because I think he could fill a hole for you, and he's a good veteran to have in the clubhouse. Yeah, and there's no reason to think that he couldn't be someone that could uh, help you at other positions as well. You know, that, that's he's the kind of guy maybe uh, that, you know, you, you play at third base, you kick over to the right side of the infield in the pinch, he can do some DHing. You know, it's valuable in that he's a switch hitter. He's got a little bit of power. So, yeah, I like the idea of bringing him back. We've talked about it recently on the pod. I mean, I would 100%, I, I think we both agree, and, and anyone who doesn't agree with this is going to end up, uh, being disappointed, but you absolutely have to trade him. I mean, there, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You signed him to trade him. This has worked out beautifully. This is the anti-Nelson Cruz. This is why you went and got him. You hoped that he would play well, and I don't think they had any delusions or even dreams that he would play this well. But here he is hitting 260 with an 820 ops and 15 home runs and playing much better defense than he has last year, last couple of years at third base. And there's going to be suitors. I mean, there's going to be teams courting him. So you flip him, no doubt about it. But yeah, go go get into the sweepstakes if you want on a two-year deal. It might take a little more than one in five, let's say, uh, that, that this year uh, you were able to get him on, which was great bargain shopping. If it's two years and, and eight or two years and 10, or maybe you give him one in six and you you run it back. You do, you do this again if he's willing to come back. My guess is generally a guy like him, you know, after having a year like this at age 29, someone is willing to pay him probably a little more than the Nats are going to be willing to. And so it's it, you know, it's still unlikely. It's I'd bet against him coming back. But the point is, all, all they can do is show interest and try to bring him back. And I think they will. I referenced, though, that he's been hot with the power, three home runs in his last seven games here over his last 25 at bats. How about the fact, though, if you actually break down over the course of the season, his first... 60 games, I think it was. He homered seven times. Over the last 30 games, he has homered eight times. So as it's heated up and, and the weather's come around now and the ball's flying a little more, I mean, he's been on a tear. Eight home runs in 30 games. That's the equivalent of basically a month. I mean, you extrapolate that out. And this is all rough math, but there's six months in the season. You know, that's like a, a 48 homer pace. I mean, he's been killing the ball here over the last 110 or so at bats as he's homered eight times for the Nats. Yeah. And he's played gold glove defense. I mean, I think that's the thing that we can't understate here is the fact that this guy has played incredibly on the defensive side of the ball as well. And 
this is something that when you signed him, you thought a lot of doubles, you thought, okay, defense, you thought maybe some power, but for the most part, he was going to be a doubles machine. He's been a doubles machine. He's hit home runs and he's played good defense. So he's just really raised his stock from where the Nationals signed him at to what he is now at the deadline. There were a few different speculative pieces that I was reading this week on where he could end up. One team that I guess needs a little bit of what he could provide would be the Milwaukee Brewers. And the idea is that they're really starved for offense. That's a team you covered in the past. You were out in Milwaukee. Uh, not a lot has changed with them. I think they're a potential suitor if you dive into you know, the Brewers and kind of offensively just how much of a struggle it's been. You know, They need someone who can hit the ball over the fence. Uh, the Marlins are another team I've seen linked to Jamer Candelario, their current third baseman, Gene Segura, uh, offensively slashing 218, 280, 274, a couple home runs and 19 RBI, a war of minus 1.4, which is uh, pretty horrific, frankly. Uh, so that doesn't make sense. I mean, the Brewers, uh, they've been DH and Jesse Winker, who's having a terrible season, slashing 200, 325, 250. So you could use Jamer there. Uh, one home run, 22 RBIs, war of. Uh, less than, you know, zero. I think it's negative 0.6. Corner infielders haven't been great either with Rowdy Telez hitting 213 with 12 home runs. Uh, third baseman Brian Anderson, he's been better than the other guys hitting about 230, 317, 373 with nine homers, but he's a half a war guy. So, I mean, if they wanted to bring in Candelario either as a DH at times, play some third base, I think it could possibly work. Yeah, and this is where it gets interesting, Grant, because of the way that the new playoff system is set up, more teams are going to be in at the deadline than have been in before, and so the Nationals are clear sellers, and it's pretty obvious that the guy at the top of the trade list is going to be Jamer Candelario, so while the return might not be great to begin with just because of what you're trading and for only a rental, it might go up slightly just because of the fact that you mentioned two teams that could be in on them. There could be other teams that are in on a third baseman, and there's something that you can't you know, discount. He's a switch hitter as well, so it's a guy that can hit from the right and the left side, so you can plug him anywhere you know, into your lineup because he's a switch hitter. He's good defensively. I think that Jamer steps in immediately, can help out a contending team right away in the field and at the plate, so you know, maybe because of the fact that more teams are into the playoffs and the Nationals are one of the few in the league that's a clear seller, Maybe that drives the price up just a little bit, not to say that they're going to get something that's substantial, but you know, we'll see if they maybe can get into a bidding war with some teams and get something nice for them. Yeah. Just get me a decent prospect, you know, add something that creates more competition and, and gives you the hope for a good big leaguer, whether that's a relief pitcher, if it's a, you know, a ball arm that could end up pitching in the rotation. You know, we've seen Mike Rizzo hit home runs kind of literally figuratively, what have you. Uh, in some of these trades, I remember when they flipped Christian Guzman and and they had a couple of players coming back, including like the throw in was Tanner Roar, who ended up having, you know, major stretches where he had top 10 earned run averages in the National League for an extended period of time. Right. I mean, so you can win these deals and you can have success by going and getting guys that you don't think at the time are going to be big leaguers. But if your scouting department sees something or if you're able to to get the right guy who's the right fit in the organization, you know, maybe it turns into a really helpful key piece. Uh, one other team I wanted to throw out there, because I've seen them linked uh, to the Nats and on the Candelario front as well, is the New York Yankees. Now, I will say I was reading this week, there's a possibility because they've been stinking up the joint. Uh, they were playing the Angels. They dropped the first couple games of that series. They went into game three hoping to avoid getting swept, and then they got throttled again 7-3 to three on uh, Wednesday night. 
Zach Neto had a couple of hits at the top of the order. Shohei Otani walked four times. They were just petrified of him. Uh, the Angels ended up scoring two runs in the first three innings, had a 6-0 lead, and won the game 7-3. But with the Yankees getting swept, they're now 3 over 500. They're basically in the exact same spot they were in when they sold off in 2016. I don't know if you remember back then, but they traded like Andrew Miller to Cleveland. They traded a Roldis Chapman, I think it was, uh, in that same kind of fell swoop to the Cubs. Those two guys met in the World Series. They ended up signing Chapman after, like you're talking about maybe doing with Candelario. But I bring this up to say, I think there's a chance the Yankees could actually sell for the second time in, in a few decades. But if they end up buying, they don't want to add value because they're like a million dollars right now over the threshold for the highest tax that you can pay for the luxury tax and they don't want to be there if they're going after Shohei or trying to have a big offseason spending so they might have to try to add guys that don't cost a lot of money that could help them well who better than Candelario who you're mm -hmm. basically going to be paying around two million dollars for the rest of the year but you might get legit production from like he'd be better than Donaldson was for them at third base who right now has this pretty severe calf strain uh they've moved LeMahieu back over to third who's won batting titles in the past but He's slashing 234, 297, 371. I mean, he has not been good at all. So that's just one other team I would throw out there. Again, we have no idea where Condelario is going, but I do think the Candyman's getting traded. And I, I will just tell you this, Toby, I don't really care who it is or where you trade them to. Uh, I'm all for trading in the division. I have no problem. You know, there's certain guys where it's harder to do that. Like when they made the Turner Scherzer deal, that would have stunk if they traded them to Philadelphia or something to get prospects. I just want the best players back. That's all I care about. I don't care if that's the Mets, the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Yankees. Give me the best possible player for Candyman. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a rental, so it's not that big of a deal. If he re-signs with them, you know, that's another thing. But you're just trading him for a rental. And to your point about the Yankees, Judge should be back at some point. He was already hitting. He's running the bases. So maybe this is a little bit of a different thing than 2016 because they can look at it and say, if we can add Candelario, we don't have to give up too, too much to get him. We'd get Candelario at third and get Judge back. That's getting two high-quality players back in the lineup. And, yes, it's a really tough division with the AL East, but if you can sneak in and you got Aaron Judge, probably the second or third best hitter in all of baseball, you got a chance anytime, especially with all that lineup, if they can find something in the playoffs. So I don't know that I would buy that the Yankees would consider selling unless everything keeps falling apart over the next couple of weeks. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's a perfect – a perfect match right there with Candelario, but who knows where he goes, but I completely agree with you, Grant. Just get the best return possible wherever it is. That division's loaded, by the way. The Orioles just caught the Rays. They've been on fire. Tampa Bay has crashed back down to earth. So Baltimore, and somehow they've played four fewer games than Tampa. I saw they have four games in hand, which is just weird, but they're quote-unquote tied now. I think the percentages in the win column are like 611 for Baltimore and 608 or something for Tampa Bay. I don't remember the specifics, but it's a couple, you know, measly portions of percentage points off. They're basically in a tie. And that's going to be a fun division the rest of the way uh, for the remainder of this season. Uh, all right. Uh, before we get to the minor leagues, a couple other things at the major league level. So Candelario, two home runs against the Cubs, very helpful. Now 15 for the season on pace for over 20. They're going to get something for him. Check. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. How about C.J. Abrams? We talked about him on the last pod. I think he was kind of the anchor of our last conversation that we had together. So I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on him. But the turnaround has been legit. Two more hits against the Cubs in the finale. Uh, infield knocks, by the way, where he's, you know, that you, you were texting me on our Nats chat and you, you were basically saying, this is Trey Turner type stuff. Like he hits the ball into that five, five hole kind of within reach of the shortstop, but full extension or sliding. And he's just so fast that they have no way to make a play. So he has the infield hits. He had a, a sacrifice bunt in the game as well, but where I'm most impressed and you know, this, I love this so much about his game. I have been begging for him to steal bases and he's continuing to do that. Two more steals in this series with Chicago in these last three contests. So that means now my splits are even. 77 games, he stole nine bases to start the year. Ten games since, he has nine steals. I mean, that's just incredible. Nine steals for 77 games, and I was pulling my hair out. Like, this dude is a 70 runner. What the hell's going on here? Now, over 10 games, he's got nine steals. It's just been a track meet. And even when it looks like he's gotten thrown out a couple times, they've challenged, and he's won the challenges. Yeah, so the way that we've talked about Mackenzie Gore this season has been talking about how he's shown real flashes and then struggled at times. That's what I think you're seeing on the opposite side with CJ Abrams. And you're seeing a big time flash right now where he's shown flashes defensively. He's shown flashes where he can run like crazy. He's shown flashes where he's gone second deck with power. He's shown all of that this season. Now it's just about finding some consistency. And right now with the way he's going, He's found something that hopefully he can continue to carry on. I mean, he's not going to hit 400 and all those crazy things he's done over the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, we're getting a big enough sample size that over the last month, he's been a totally different player, an above 300 hitter, a guy like you said, stealing bags. He's been better in the field. He just looks more confident. And, you know, we've talked about this so many times about how young he was coming in. He's learning at the major league level, and sometimes things just click. And it's crazy because – you know, maybe if you ask CJ, he wouldn't know that there's anything that specifically clicked, but everything just starts slowing down for him and making more sense. And we'd be remiss, Grant, if we didn't mention, because it was named after the last pod that we recorded. But congratulations to him on being NL Player of the Week last week. He was a uh, fantastic in that Cardinals series. And hopefully he continues to play like he has, because if he does, this is a guy that was a former top prospect in baseball. And this is why. Yeah, those honors have been few and far between around here the last couple of years, haven't they? I mean, <laughs> I, I hate to just top of my head forget, but I mean, since Kyle Schwarber went on that crazy home run dare before he was traded and they blew things up after they got swept in Baltimore when it all went sideways in the pandemic season or the, the year after the pandemic even, I'm trying to think, like, what has even been close to a, a player of the week, player of the month, kind of performance I, I don't know that they've had the talent to even have anyone in the conversation so that's a big deal you're right and for him to be 22 and accomplish it on the heels of Josiah Gray going to the all-star game which was a, a great accomplishment as well some good things to be happy about if you're a Nats fan uh to your point last seven games Abrams hitting 415 last 15 games he's hitting 350 last 30 games he's hitting 312 and if you look at the splits on the season uh he hit 235 in April with a 709 OPS, then about 250 in May with a 707 OPS, so about the same. Then June, he really did struggle. He hit 216 with a 585 OPS, but here in July, a 353 average with a 960 ops. 
and he's getting on base 41% of the time this month. Obviously, so much of this correlates to him having been moved up in the order. I mean, if you look at where he bats and how he's performed, I mean, it's pretty crazy. When he's hitting first, it's only been eight games, but he gets on base 44% of the time, and he hits almost 400, where he spent most of the year batting eighth uh, or, or ninth, basically. Uh, in 39 games hitting eighth, he was a 226 hitter with a 274 on base. Batting ninth in 33 games, he was a 254 hitter with a 303 on base. So to see him now getting a chance to lead off, hit at the top of the order, uh, has been really, really cool. And, you know, even when he was leading off innings as a or hitter down the bottom of the order, his numbers were actually better than, you know, when he wasn't. So it just seems like, you know, this is something that he he's done it his whole life. He's always been, you know, that yeah. top of the order, great athlete, fast player, catalyst, spark plug probably at on every team he's ever played on. Uh, but he's come out of the all-star break here, seven for his first 21 at the plate, picking up where he left off. And over the course of the season, I mean, look, he's he's very young, which we talk about. But, I mean, he's hit 270 off right-handed pitching. Left on left is tough for a young guy. It's going to come. But it, the numbers, he's better than league average, where they tick above league average uh, OPS and, and a 270 batting average against right-handed pitching. So when you actually dive into some of the splits and the peripherals for him, uh, you can find some things that you like for Abrams. Yeah, and I want to give Davey some credit because we give him a lot of flack for the way that he uses the bullpen at times and various things with some of his in-game management. But one thing that I don't think you can ever question Davey on is how he manages the clubhouse and manages the personalities and does a good job with the people in that clubhouse. And so I think he started to see CJ turn a corner or maybe he saw something in CJ. And, you know, he mentioned calling him into his office and saying, hey, man, I think you should be a leadoff hitter. I think you've got the capability to do it. Let's see you do it now. And he's thrown him in the leadoff spot, and he's been a totally different player. And so I think that he saw that maybe he needs to have that little bit of a, a, a kick in the pants, if you want to say it. I don't know that it's, you know, kick in the pants is kind of usually negative connotation, but something to just extra spur him on to move him up to the top of the order and say, hey, take ownership of this. This is now your spot. Now go out there and show it. You're a good big leaguer. You deserve to be in the top of the order. Go take ownership of this. And I think that's made the difference in that mentality from CJ. And it's a credit to Davey for realizing that. And now we're seeing a little bit of a different player in CJ. So let's just hope that he can continue doing that. Yeah, a couple of things as we forecast out in front now for Abrams that I want to see him continue to improve. He chases way too many pitches. He's in the eighth percentile in chase rate. Uh, I think this has actually gotten a little bit better here recently, I would imagine. If I could look at the percentile in the last month, you know, and really break it down from a timeline standpoint. Having said that, though, you know, you line up a hundred batters, ninety-two of them this year have been better than him at not chasing. Like that, that's an area where he's got to improve. With that, is he spits on more pitches, his walk rate's going to go up. We're talking about him getting on base, being a leadoff hitter, right? You you need to be able to to have an on base percentage. His for the year at three hundred one is just not good. Obviously, as we're talking about, it's changed considerably here lately is this a hot stretch as he turned a corner we're going to find out but his walk percentile is fourth in baseball 96 out of 100 hitters are, are doing a better job drawing walks than he is he actually is middle of the pack does a pretty good job not striking out which tells you there's bat to ball skills uh, but you know he, he just doesn't find the barrel frequently enough 25th percentile uh, hard hit percentage is 21st percentile you, you want to hit the ball harder than he does more often than he does 
And, and while I would say you want it in the air generally, with him, as you're talking about tonight, you know, with a couple of the ground balls that turn into hits against the Cubs on Wednesday, like sometimes ground balls that are hit hard are okay. I mean, occasionally that's if it's an atom ball, it's a double play or something. But in his case, if they're, you know, if they got eyes and they can get into areas where there aren't fielders and they got to catch it on the move, then there is a possibility for you to, to get some hits out of those ground balls. So uh, there's a lot of room for growth. And I, I want to, uh, see at the end of the year kind of where we are and how long he can sustain some of this success. Uh, but it's the most fun we've had for sure, watching him get results since he came here.